it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have episode 190. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to read some great listener questions and do our little give and take and answer those for you guys on the air. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question I have. This is from Eric. It says, hi, Andrew and Dave. First and foremost, thank you both so much for this podcast. I have been avidly listening since July of last year and have learned so much from you both. I now have my Roth IRA with my dividend stocks dripping and love the growth I'm seeing. I came across an ETF that targets value stocks with high dividend yields in the S&P 500. SPDV is the ticker. While there is no option to reinvest the dividends into the ETF and I instead have take the payouts as cash in my Roth, it looks like it could provide additional tax-free cash flow without counting towards the annual contribution cap. My question is, should I try and build up several shares of the ETF in my Roth to achieve a decent monthly cash flow to then buy more of my handpicked dividend stocks each month for free, air quotes, or would it be better to invest in the dividend stocks to begin with? I'm not sure what the trade-off here is here and would appreciate any thoughts you guys might have. Uh, Thank you in advance, Eric. Andrew, what are your questions on Eric's great question? Hmm. Well. First off, I like the idea as far as, you know, he's focusing on getting income and trying to get that compound interest wheel turning and turning and turning. And that's fantastic. And I love that he's got the Roth IRA. He's dripping, you know, dividend reinvestment. And he's looking to build that wealth over time, you know, not trying to make it all from zero to a hundred tomorrow. That's, that's excellent. So the question now becomes, you know, which path am I going to take here? Am I going to try to prioritize income first with a high yield? Or am I just going to try to pick good stocks off the bat? And so I'm more in the camp of just picking good stocks off the back and let those companies do the work for you and compound for you. Basically, you know, the whole point of investing obviously is is receiving that income and receiving a return reinvesting that and having that grow and compound on itself. When you get into chase chasing yield, because it's kind of what you're doing when you're when you're 
simply just trying to buy stocks that have high yields, you're going to you're going to be chasing yield and that's going to inevitably put you in stocks where the stock prices have crashed a lot. Now, that sounds like a great thing being value investors, we want to buy things when they're on sale. However, you know, if you have 10 stocks drop and five of them let's say five of them drop because the market just kind of got skiddy and scared and the other five drop because they're actually businesses that are on the way out and they're kind of on the the tail end of their life cycle that that's not going to give you good results if you get half of half of the stocks in your portfolio end up folding or or just kind of drifting off into oblivion that's that's not going to be good and so while a high yield is enticing, you have to be really, really careful. And especially in an ETF where you have no control over which stocks go into there. Um, if it's going to put you in a situation where you're at essentially having a lot of not, you know, not great companies in that portfolio, it's just going to drag down the return. And so, yeah, you might get a higher yield, a higher income, but I would rather have a better company, even if it comes with a smaller income. Because that company is going to grow its earnings. And so as it grows its earnings, that's going to compound. And then they're going to give me higher cash flows in the future, you know, higher dividends, higher income. And so you might as well just start that process now rather than trying to trying trying to set it up. Because regardless of which what path you choose, whether you're going with the ETF to get cash flow now versus a stock. Um, that also pays you a dividend. You're still getting free income. It's just um, when you're when you're reinvesting into a company you already own. When you're dripping that, it's you might not think of it as income because it's automatically going back in, and you're getting you're accumulating more shares. But that's really what you're doing. You are getting income and then buying more stocks for free. It's just taking. A di- it's, it's it's taking a different form, and so um, it doesn't appear the same way in your brokerage account. But that's exactly what you're doing. So for me, income is important. Dividends are important. Compounding and reinvesting income is very very important. But the companies in your portfolio are so much more important. And so you know, I would rather buy a Microsoft in 2012 as an example than have. Give me five of, of the top yielders in 2012. I would rather have Microsoft because over that time period, they've grown their company like a weed. They've grown their earnings like a weed and they've grown their dividends like a weed. So it's, it's just been a fantastic investment to own. And that's what can happen when you start to pick companies like that. And if you can get them at great prices, your chances of getting good returns can increase. That is a fantastic answer, and you took some of my thunder. Some of the things I was thinking about while we were uh, answering the question, uh, you answered. So that was that was fantastic. The I agree a hundred percent with the idea of buying better companies. It, one of the things that we've talked about uh, in the past is when we're investing, we're not buying numbers and we're not buying tickers. We're actually buying companies. And one of the things that we need to focus on is trying to find the best companies that we can for the best price that we can and doing the due diligence to find those great companies. Then those are the ones that you really want to invest in. And I guess another thing to think about too, is if you start with buying a company or an ETF that is going to be paying you dividends that you can't reinvest, 
then it could take anywhere from six months to a year to build up the funds from those dividends to be able to invest in the handpicked selected uh, stocks that you want to buy. So that's another year or so that you're not compounding those companies. Now, if you got 30 to 40 years to invest, then that's maybe not as big a deal. But the sooner you start, the sooner you get where you want to go. So uh, that is, I guess, the other idea that I was thinking about too. And along those lines, anything that prevents you from doing what you want to do, you want to kind of avoid that if you can, because any chance that we humans can procrastinate, we're going to do it. So uh, any way that we can, we can avoid that. I, I know that was something I learned in college, you know, why, why wait till the last minute when the last minute is when you're going to get anything done anyway. So I think, I think, you know, the ideas that Andrew was, was sharing with us, I think are, are the best way to think about this and think about the fact that you, the best companies that you can buy are the ones you want to own. And the sooner you get the opportunity to own them and have those in your portfolio, the better. And so I would agree with everything Andrew was saying about that. And it's a good point that you bring up, Dave, about making sure that the dividends will offer you enough to buy shares because when you're investing in a Roth, there's limits to how much you can put into there. So especially when you're first starting out, I mean, the most, we're recording this in 2021, the most you could have put in last year would have been $6,000. So unless you had all, that whole 6000 into an ETF that was paying you a high dividend, if you were kind of splitting that up maybe and being a little more diversified, you might not have gotten a, di- a high enough dividend to be able to buy shares of something. And, and that's, just look at 2020 if you want to see um, what can happen if you're sucking on your thumb and how fast the market can move, especially how, 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 how fast opportunities can slip away. Oh, yes. Uh, if 2020 taught us nothing, that is something that, as you said, it, it can slip away very, very quickly, uh, both for good and for bad. And so things have, have moved far faster this year than we've probably ever seen. And so that is something that I think I took away from it is that you got to be ready so that when an opportunity does present itself for you to buy something you really want to have the dry powder to be able to pull that trigger at that time is, is very important, especially with the volatility that we're have seen in, in 2020 and have been seeing in 2021 as well. So there's certainly been a lot of that as well. All right, let's move on to the next question. So I have, uh, hey, David Andrew, uh, great podcast this week as always. I would like to know your thoughts and others as to why you seem against Disney. I understand their old way of making money, movies, parks, etc. have been damaged quite badly last year, no doubting about that. I would call them quite innovative as they have launched Disney Plus and it has been quite a hit from the start. They are getting a very large number of subscribers on a membership and that seems to be constantly growing. If you compare them to their closest competitor in the market, they are quickly catching up to Netflix. This is uh, only one revenue stream of their business. With everything shut down last year, they have obviously taken a hit. But you would hope a well-managed company would be able to cut costs as revenues would be down for the person attractions temporarily. Just wanted to bring them up as you seem to be coming up in podcasts as stocks to sell. Thanks in advance for your thoughts as to why I'm wrong in his thinking. Ha. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Disney? I've got lots of thoughts. So <laughs> uh, Disney has been a long time holding of mine. I first recommended it and purchased it in the e-letter back in March of 2016. I bought in at 95. It was 95.31. Uh, I bought in again in March of 2020 at 
117.65, and I sold out in December around 147. So made a decent profit. It's it's continued to rise since I've sold, um, but I'm happy with with the decisions I made, and I have my reasoning for them. So you know, people who've been following along for a while, they understand I have some hard and fast rules. Two of those being ones that Disney happened to to break. So one of them is if a company stops paying a dividend, I'm going to sell. Disney did that. Number two is if a company has negative earnings for the year, I'm going to sell. Disney did that as well. And so for me, there wasn't much like hem-hawing on whether I was going to sell this thing or not. It was a sell. And, and that was it was very easy for me to to make that decision. Now, there's a lot of other factors when you talk about what happened with Disney in particular. And you know, I don't want to steal all your thunder again, Dave, but <laughs> let, let me let me start with the impairment. I think Dave can give a good out, outline on on the different segments. I know he's 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 looked at Disney for a while too and he he understands the business. So let me let me talk about their big loss. So obviously they had to sh- shut parks down and yes it's true that they they furloughed employees they cut costs to the bone you know they really limited the losses as much as they could so in a year in years where they would have strong profits from the parks in 2020 they lost money and it was to a, the tune of 81 million dollars which isn't that's not terrible um they cut they cut costs really really well for that but that's a huge hit to their income compared to how much they would usually get. And so not only did that happen where um, profits almost halved for the whole company. So that's that's pretty big deal. They also took a impairment charge. And so what that means to, to, to put it in layman's terms, basically they realized that money that they had invested in the company is not worth as much as it was when they invested it. So if we were to pretend you know, I, we, we don't know the extent of, of what this write down was necessarily to the detail, but, you know, let's make an illustration. Let's say Disney made a brand new roller coaster and they spent, I don't, I don't even know how much they, that would cost, but let's say they spent like $2 million to build this new roller coaster. And, you know, turns out nobody ever wanted to ride on it. And so it was $2 million that was completely wasted. So they took $2 million of their profits, reinvested it in the business. They were expecting that to earn, you know, much much more than that. It didn't, and so instead of that two million dollars staying as an asset on their balance sheet, right, which is going to provide them with profits, you have to write it off. You have to take it off the balance sheet because it's worthless. And so you do the same thing. That, that's that's how like an asset write down works. And so if you think about, you know, it's not to say that nobody's ever going to come to a Disneyland park again, but if you think about the mechanics of of running something like that and you know whether whether a roller coaster is being ridden on or not it's it's rusty now it's 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 deteriorating the stuff deteriorates over time right i'm not a roller coaster expert but you have to think that way when you look at these long-term assets and so for disney they took a 5.7 billion dollar impairment and so that's 5.7 billion dollars of money that they pro- Old profits that they used to, that they already spent and and they built up their company on that's now essentially worthless and and they have to 
they take that loss and and you know it's 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 shareholder value that was eliminated of course it's not entirely their own fault that's just kind of the what happened and so when i look at investments from a long term compounding perspective i want to see that kind of slow and steady we make some money we put some more money back in the business we make even more money that's growth we put some more of that in the business right and it just builds over time and i'm not personally i'm not in the game of like huge drops and huge recoveries and kind of like a roller coaster i'm not in that game i'm kind of i, I like the slow and steady build and compound over time and so for me it's just not what i'm the kind of investment i'm looking for and so i was fortunate to get out at a pretty nice profit it's not to say that the company won't do well i think the company's fantastic um and i think they will recover and i think they will be very very strong for many many years but it's just not the type of investment that i'm looking for and so i sold it when it comes to financial advice you got to trust the source it's why you listen to this podcast when i'm looking to upgrade my wallet i turn to nerd wallet their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products before nerd wallet i'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet but i was missing out on miles i didn't even know i was leaving on the table now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, those are all great reasons. And thank you for not stealing my thunder quite yet. Uh, I'm sure you will <laughs> in the future. Uh, anyway, so the, 
here, I guess, are some of my thoughts on Disney. So I, I am coming at it from a completely different angle than Andrew is. So I was fortunate enough to buy the company at some of the lows that they had in March when the pandemic first began. So I was, this is a company that I've actually wanted to own for a long time. It had been on my wish list for quite some time. But my reason for buying the company was I was looking at it as an investment for my daughter. When I think of my daughter and starting to set up a, a legacy fund for her was creating something that I could give to her 15, 20 years from now and say, here you go, honey. Thank you. Welcome <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, it, to me, it was, it, it's, it's a, it's a brand that is going to last for a very long time. And so my take on the company was I was buying it for more emotional reasons than necessarily a stock picking perspective. Now at the time, I guess I didn't realize the the ramifications of what was coming as far as what was going on with COVID and how that was going to impact the financials of the company for sure. And I'll be honest with you, as soon as I f- discovered and realized that the parks were going to shut down and how much that was going to impact the revenues and the financial standing of the company, I did have a couple of, uh, oh gosh, what did I get into uh, ideas uh, because I bought it, I think at a hundred dollars a share and about eighty nine dollars a share. So my cost basis was around ninety five bucks a share, and so I've done very well on that investment since I bought it because the stock, you know, in, in true twenty twenty fashion, has gone to the moon when in reality it probably shouldn't have. But when Andrew was talking about the impairment and some of the other downsides that the company has had, like the question was, was uh, stating they've also had some bonuses. So Disney plus has been a huge success for the company far exceeding their expectations. Uh, I believe they crossed the hundred million uh, subscriber list uh, uh, total not too long ago. And they were predicting when they first started Disney plus, they were hoping to, to get, I think it was 62 million in the first three years of the service being offered. So they far exceeded their expectations. And as a matter of fact, Reed Hastings, who's the CEO and owner of Netflix, has commented several times recently about how successful the company has been in promoting and executing on their operations with Disney plus uh, he he has mentioned several times how impressed he is with how well they've done and as he put it uh, people love stories and Disney has a lot of great stories and you think about all the different items that are in their catalogs it's 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 mind-boggling and they have done a fantastic job of of creating a fantastic product with Disney plus and they've had a couple of huge hits this year with of course the Mandalorian and now this uh, WandaVision. And so those two have taken off plus some of the movies that they've released with Mulan and soul uh, most recently did very, very well. And uh, Raya has had a little bit of a lackluster start, but hopefully it'll, it'll pick up. So I am not, I guess bullish. I'm not bearish on the company. I'm more a little realistic on it. But some of the things that Andrew was talking about are right on the money. And the segments have done, when you look at the segments of, of Disney, they, Disney is not just kind of a one trick pony. They have a lot of different, 
uh, I guess, revenue streams. So you think about Disney Plus and the media, that's one part of it. The parks is another part of it. Then they have the merchandising part of it. So they have different aspects of revenue for the company. And the one that's really taken the biggest hit has been by far has been the parks. And even even this last quarter, when some of the parks have been open, they still had a loss on revenues for not revenues, but for earnings for the quarter for the first quarter of 2021. They have had losses on the park rev uh, the park segment. The media has done very very well based on what's been going on with Disney Plus. Disney Plus has even done so well that they're they're actually going to be raising prices on the subscription uh, going into, I think, the second part of 2021, which will help even more increase their revenues. So uh, the company is in pretty good shape. They did do some... Um, they did do some bond offerings to raise money uh, during the course of last year. So that's helped them kind of get by uh, through the year as the parks have been shuttered. Uh, I know that uh, in California, they have just recently opened theirs. And I believe the one in Florida has been open for a little while now. But even though they're still down and it's not going to be 100% capacity. But I did hear on the news a few days ago that the the park in California is already booked uh, two weeks out uh, for people to come. So uh, I think there's a lot of demand for this. So I think uh, people are anticipating that once it's open, things are going to really explode. But kind of to get back to the, the, I guess the fundamentals of the company, if you look at what the company, the company is about four or 5 billion below where they were at the same point this year uh, for quarterly revenues. So if you just look at, if the parks come back to even just where they were a year ago before the pandemic hit, then the the price has kind of gotten ahead of it a little bit. And if you look at just this, the earnings per share and compare that to the price, that would kind of give you the PE. And if you did that right now, the PE would be around $30, $31 or $30, $31. So it's, it's a little bit on the high side for me personally. I wouldn't say it's horribly overvalued, but it's a little more on the, the expensive side that I would want to see if I was making a, an entry investment. But I think the company is going to do well over the long period. So I have a different, I guess, a different mindset. Plus, I got in so cheap that I'm I'm all about it. So um, I guess those are some of my thoughts on Disney. Um, I guess, did you have anything else you wanted to add on Disney? Yeah, you make, you make good points. And I think the... Wall Street has reacted positively to essentially a lot of the the bigger moves that management has made because they've shown that they're going to kind of focus more on Disney Plus and, and invest in that versus some of the other stuff, which is a lot more capital intensive. You made a good point when we when we've talked about this in the past how how the parks themselves are, are a great value to the Disney brand. Um, it's almost like a whole ecosystem. You have the the TV networks, right? The ESPN, the ABC, and they're able to almost have free advertising for their their parks and the streaming. And then obviously they have the movies, and and it all it all kind of um, works together to get people in their ecosystem. But when I think of um, a company like Coca Cola. If you if you study Coca Cola, you go all the way back. Which, by the way, um, not only were they Warren Buffett's one of his greatest investments of all time, they've just been one of the best American businesses of all time. 
going back to you know the early 1900s and so what a company like coca-cola did was they took a very expensive capital intensive business like uh bottling you know bottling the 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 drinks and let other companies do that and so they even if if you look they have a publicly traded company um that solely deals with with the bottling for coca-cola and they they have they they keep a, a small equity stake in the company so um they're able to still make sure this company succeeds doesn't tarnish the brand but all of that heavy capital intensity that comes cuz you got to you know if you're going to do bottling you have to build a big plant you have to get all these assembly line workers i mean t- today it's it's like robots and stuff but it, it's you, you got to get the land you got to get the plant you got to get all the all these things that need to come together right whereas the coca-cola brand itself they're just they have the relationships to get into the stores they have the advertising to get in consumers minds it's a very capital light business so when i look at a company like disney you have that in there too with the the parks are very very expensive i mean the 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 amount of money they have to put in just to maintain the parks it's it's incredible i think in 2019 it was something like 4 billion dollars and they made maybe 6 or 7 billion on the parks themselves so it's a hugely expensive capital intensive business but there's no doubt that it brings value to the overall disney brand and so i wonder if they can do some sort of a spin off where you take the the unwanted capital heavy expensive parts of the business let them sit somewhere else like coca-cola did and keep the 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 high growth the disney plus the espn plus you know that direct to consumer stuff and keep that with maybe the movies and and the the tv channels and i think you could have a huge a huge runway from there but at this point we're all speculating you know we will, we don't know if they're going to make moves like that and so it's hard to it's hard to to say whether the company is going to really thrive or if they're going to fail and i don't I, I don't think they're necessarily set up to fail but i i don't again kind of going back to what i said i don't i don't see them as as moving in the path that that I would want to see that that um, I'm comfortable holding, and so you know um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. That's a that's a great observation. I'm gonna I'm gonna call up the CEO of Disney, Bob <laughs> Chapik, and tell him that this is what Andrew thinks, and I think yeah. that's the way we should go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's tell, a tell him I tell him I used to be an insider, right? Okay, I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. All right. So that was a great question. All right. Let's move on to the next one. So I got, hey, Andrew, uh, my name is Drew and I'm an avid listener of your podcast. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you began a career in finance and trading if you received schooling in engineering. I asked because I am a Mechie or a mechanical engineer at Oklahoma State right now, and I'm very interested in finance and stock trading. So this is directly to you, Andrew. What are your thoughts? It's a Yeah, it's a great question. Um I'm not a career counselor by any stretch, and I think my circle of competence lies mostly with investing, but I guess I'll give it a crack. For me, you know, I I I I started on the side. I mean, I I I started a business and I I tried to look and say, okay, 
what's something I can offer here where it's going to make people a lot more money than I'm going to charge them. And then how can I, how can I spread that message? And so that's kind of where it all came from. But, you know, I think, I think a lot of that question depends on, it depends on several factors. It's going to be personal for everybody, obviously. You know, Dave, I saw this meme the other day and I thought it was kind of funny. It was, it was it was just like this guy and he's like yeah um my wife just spent four weeks checking reviews for this vacuum cleaner we just bought and he's like and i just bought this car because the guy on tv had the same dog that i do (laughs) and and, you know you know it's funny and everything but when we think of careers you know how much time do we really spend actually thinking about it and researching it right Mm -hmm. yeah and so when it comes to like the when you say the word finance i think that that can imply so many different careers and like job functions and and there's just so many parts of that and it's not all trading or stocks or anything like that and so you definitely want to do research on that and and consider what even what part of finance are you doing and and how what is that career path looking like and how is that leading you towards what you're passionate about. And then there's even the question of, do I have the luxury to, to even make a huge career change? Right. Because if I have, you know, 60,000 in debt and I'm making less than 60,000 a year, you know, and I have 60,000 debt on a student loan, maybe I, I've, I've got to work through that debt and get myself more financially secure before I can, make a leap to do something I really love to do, you know? And so like for me, I, I started on the side and I, I just tried to try to teach people as I went along and, and try to really provide resources. Um, and it happened to align with, with what I'm passionate about. So I don't know if that's a good answer, or even an answer at all <laughs> to the question, but you know, we, we did, we did do a, a series back to the basics. And I think it was episode four where we talked about creating income on the side. And so I think, I think, you know, before you take huge steps, you got to take baby steps. And so maybe baby steps are, let me dip my toes in some of these things and see if I'm really, you know, see, see, see what I, what, what is it about this whole thing that I'm really interested in? And then try some of it out without jumping with two feet completely in yet and then once once you've once you've got a path then just go after it like like you wouldn't believe 110 percent effort and just chase after it and um and work really really hard and and you'll do fine no matter where you end up i think yeah that's good advice so i guess a question from the peanut gallery i.e me when i think about it so this is coming from somebody who is not an engineer it engineering i i associate with math so do you think somebody that is looking at mechanical engineering is going to have a, a an interest in math because that's something that is necessary to to be successful in investing is is learning about math and and having an interest in it yeah i mean maybe um i was an electrical engineer by education. So I think 
there might be a little bit more math than mechanical. I know mechanical is a lot of putting stuff together, you know, like real stuff in the world and mine's a lot more uh, numbers based. So I don't know. And, and, you know, I don't think you necessarily need to be a hundred percent mathy to, to go into anything finance really. I mean, there's, there's so many roles where you're dealing with people. And so that has nothing to do with math, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. Uh, Very good point. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I also think there's more to investing than just numbers too, but numbers definitely kind of draw you in. And I think it helps to, I think if you're looking at stocks, it definitely helps to, to enjoy looking at numbers. <laughs> Cause if you, if you look at numbers and you're like, Oh, get me out of here. Um, then yeah, you shouldn't be looking at stocks at all. Yeah, that's a good point. I know that uh, one of my favorite teachers, uh, Professor Oswald Damandaran, wrote a really good book called uh, Numbers to, um, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm going to blank on the name of the book. Oh, stories, terrible. Is it Stories and Numbers or something? Yes, you're, thank you're you. You're telling me about it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, anyway, um, part of what he was going after with that book was was talking about people that don't really have a number. Numbers aren't really their thing, but they're more about the stories. And one of the things that I know that I've been trying to work on is thinking about a thesis or an idea of why I think a company will do well if I want to invest in it or I want to encourage other people to invest in it. And so I know that that's something that I've been trying to embrace. And so that's more more along what Andrew was talking about with more of the qualitative side of it as opposed to the number or quantitative side of it. So there, there's definitely a left brain and a right brain part to investing. So I, I would agree with that. So that that's a great observation. I, and I don't know, like you and I, I think we're very fortunate to be where we're at and to be able to be looking at companies like this and you know and, and it's and it's creating value for people and, and it's able to become an occupation. Um you know there's there's other occupations where you think you're gonna be able to look at stocks and you end up having to go find clients or push papers, right? Or 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 do something very menial. So it's it's very tough and I you know I guess there's no there's no substitute to just kind of putting yourself out there and trying different things and, and trying to learn more and, and always being curious and being trying to be flexible enough where you can make smart decisions and and then pivot and and adjust to as you as you learn more about what it is you're trying to do. I mean I don't think anybody necessarily knows exactly what they're what they want to do for their life. So so what about you, Dave? Um, I guess so for me, I guess I, you know, I got a degree in music and you would think that that is as far removed from finance as it could possibly be, but they actually do have a little bit in common. Music is actually a very math based art, if you will. And the, the theory of music, the, the notes and the chords and how all of that moves in conjunction with these, with each other. And then you take rhythm and add the different pulses to all that. It, it, it can be very, very mechanical and very, very uh, mathematical. And so when I started learning about finance, it just really appealed to that nature, part of that nature of mine. And so it just felt like a natural transition for me. 
And it was something that I had always sort of had an interest in to begin with. And so once I had the opportunity when I was working at Wells Fargo to start to learn more about this, and I had a a great mentor at the bank that really kind of encouraged me, it just really kind of took off. And it was I was lucky. It was just one of those things that I I was taken with. And like anything else that I had done in my life, I, I just kind of fully embraced it. I dived in deep in embraced as much of it as I possibly could and tried to surround myself with it as much as I could. Because for me, that's when I become passionate about something, that's what I do, whether it's been music, whether it's been baseball, whether it's been wine or history, anything that I really become excited about, then I really kind of dive in and that's just kind of my nature. And I think that's what helps me learn the best and I've said this before in the past, and I'll say it again. It, finance is like a language, like anything else. Learning Portuguese, Spanish, French, music, cooking, just about anything you could think of. When you really dive in and try to become better at something, it's like learning a new language. And you have to learn the vocabulary. You have to learn the structure. And you have to start putting all those things together. And once you start to do all that, then it becomes even more interesting to you. And it just kind of compounds on itself. And that is how you really get into something. But it 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 doesn't have to become your whole life if you don't want it to be. It can just be a hobby and it could be something that you do on the side. Uh, not everybody is built the same way and not everybody has the same interests. And so something that I may think is the coolest thing ever, you may look at and go, oh my God, that is the dorkiest, geekiest, boring thing I could ever think of and I could never ever do that. Perfect example. I love baseball. I think baseball is the greatest sport ever. I love it. And my sister absolutely hates it. Or my, not my sister. I'm sorry. My daughter absolutely hates it. Thinks it's the most boring thing ever. Uh, I took her to a Brewers and Giants game and she basically fell asleep in the fourth inning <laughs> because she thought it was terrible. So, you know, and here I am on the edge of my seat because it's, I'm so excited to get to see my team play. So anyway, I think that's, if I could encourage you to do anything is whatever it is you're doing, Dip your toes in, find out if it's something you want to do. And then if it's something you really want to do, then do it, like Andrew was saying, to the to the full extent of your energy and your ability. And even if it just becomes a, a hobby and it's something that you just really in, enjoy doing that helps you know ease your mind, makes you relax, then that's that's awesome too. So it doesn't have to, you don't have to become a full-time stock trader or a stock picker kind of thing to really embrace finance. It can like Andrew said, there's so many different other avenues that you can take it to do with just about anything and finance included. Yeah, those are, those are super good points. You know, the problem you had um, with the baseball game is you were watching the Brewers and the Giants. I mean, (laughs) I'd fall asleep too, probably. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, although the Brewers actually had a good team, the Giants, not so much, but yeah. (laughs) The Brewers had a good team. So I'm sure you're saying that if it had been a Dodgers game, that it would have been far more exciting for her. Is that where you're getting at? Well, maybe not, because maybe they would have just completely slaughtered one of those teams too. So, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> right, we got we got our one our one win. Okay, the first the first World Series 
that I've ever been alive for. So I have to, right, yeah. I have to squeeze in at least one gloat publicly. Yeah, that's, that's true. You only get, you only got to get two more before you tie me. So, you know, just, all right, all right. yeah, relax. <laughs> Put me back in my spot. I deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Well, with that, we are going to wrap up today's conversation. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to write us those great questions. We really enjoy answering these on the air for you guys. And we hope that you guys are getting some good information from all this. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.